Heavenly Father, as we reflect on these Old Testament narratives of the history of the world and your dealings with humanity, we pray that the truths of this passage would come home to us in a fresh way this morning and that we would indeed see the relevance of these truths to our daily lives such that we would walk lives more joyfully, serving you and walking in close communion with you. To your glory we pray this. Amen. Architecture has always been a quite a competitive area. Uh, cities and governments want buildings more impressive than anyone else's. And nowhere is this more apparent than in the increasingly colossal skyscrapers of this new millennium. Uh, while aesthetic beauty is always prized, height seems to be the most impressive standard by which they are judged. And the record for the world's tallest building has been broken many times over the last century. The current record holder is the Burj Caliph in Dubai. There it is. Uh, at night, uh, it's even more impressive than that. And its height at three, 830 meters, it is 214 meters taller than the second tallest structure in the world. And there we have it on the comparison chart. And if you've not got a head for heights, it may be best for you not to look at that next slide, because there is the view from the top. Goodness me. I can see some of you are wincing. And as we see each new impressive structure rising up, there is this understandable sense of excitement and indeed awe. Isn't it amazing how humanity manages to push the boundaries of engineering? And that sense of excitement and, and awe was no doubt present as the great structure rose in Genesis chapter 11. It was the Burj Caliph of its day. But the Bible's assessment of the tower is actually not that positive. Uh, let's begin with a key question. What was the sin of the people at Babel? What did the people actually do which was, before God, wrong? Well, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, describe the project. And in verse 4, we are told, uh, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. In verses 5 to 9, then, the Lord's judgment is pronounced on the project. But the question is, what was it that God disapproved of? Is God against technology? Uh, building a tower is quite a feat of engineering, quite a step forward. Is God opposed to such progress? Uh, does God want us to follow the Amish communities who refuse to drive cars or to use electricity? Think back to what we've seen in previous weeks. Uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, what was the mandate, the job that God gave to humanity? It was, of course, to rule over the earth, uh, to subdue it. And we dug down on what that meant, didn't we? And we saw that part of that means we develop it, we utilize its resources. And therefore, uh, engineering and technology is an expression of that mandate. So the problem is not there. But what does the text actually say? The problem wasn't technology or engineering, but the problem was this. It was pride. The construction project was an expression of a society built to the exclusion of God. Chapter 11, verse 4, again, see what they say. So that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. See, the tower 
was designed as a monument to mankind's glory. If we go into reverse and we go back to the generation of Seth, several generations earlier, at that point, people were honoring the name of the Lord. Uh, It says in chapter 4, verse 26, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. But now, in the era of the Tower of Babel, it is their own name that people are seeking to promote and to establish. And it's with this city and the tower with its tops in the heavens that they think, hey, now at last, we will be secure. We will be impregnable from attack. We will be protected from being dispersed. Again, verse 4 says, and we will not be scattered over the face of the earth. But do you notice who does not feature in their thinking? God. This is an attempt to establish themselves without any reference to God. And when the Lord himself gives the assessment in verse 6, he says this. Then the Lord said, If as one people speak in the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God acknowledges mankind has this enormous God-given potential and ability, and he's not opposed to that, but he is opposed to mankind using it for its own ends and to, its, to God's exclusion. And the spirit of mankind is here, hey, we can do anything on our own. The sky is the limit. We don't need God in the equation. So are you starting to get the vibe of their attitude and heart? Uh, God gave mankind great abilities to use to serve him, but instead, what we're seeing is it goes to their heads and people become puffed up and proud, and self-sufficient. They think, I'm it, I can do anything I want, look at my achievements, I don't need God. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because it very much resonates with our world today, and societies today, and it has done over the centuries. Now, the problem with this attitude is not just that it's ugly, although it is ugly, the problem is bigger than that. Because the problem is that God opposes such people. That is the message of the Babel account. Do you want God to work against you and to oppose you? Because that is what God does for those who have this independent spirit. Uh, In his judgment, the Lord frustrates their plans. Uh, What they are doing, he undoes. There's actually a play on words to emphasize this undoing. For example, uh, people say, let's make bricks. But in contrast, God says, let's confuse. And the project was designed to prevent them from being dispersed. And yet in judgment, God now does exactly that. He disperses them. And the Lord confuses their languages to frustrate any future cooperation on such projects. Uh, They want to make a name for themselves, and instead the name they get is Babel, which speaks of confusion. And in his mercy, and because of his covenant, God doesn't wipe out mankind as he did in the flood, but he does still bring judgment. And community life is now frustrated by dispersion and communication breakdown. And the principle we see here being worked out is that God opposes the proud, those who build their lives 
whilst excluding him. And ultimately, the principle is God will humble them. He will bring them down. If you exalt yourself, you will find yourself in a tug of war with God on the other end of the rope. Now remember who Genesis was first written to. Uh, It was written by Moses to the people of Israel whilst they're in the desert on the borders of the promised land. We need to think about what this text would have said to them before we move on to thinking about what it means to us today. And for God's people on the borders of the promised land, there is a sense in which the message would have both had an encouragement, but also a warning. Uh, The lands they were about to invade was filled with many other nations. And these were proud and mighty nations. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28 is an example where it says their cities are described as, and I quote, the cities are large with walls up to the sky. Sounds very much like Babel. But because God opposed such proud nations, the point would be this. Israel has nothing to fear. And throughout their history, God's people would face great and powerful foes, uh, Egypt, uh, Babylon, Assyria, but his people actually had nothing to fear because God would oppose such proud enemies. And so for us today, when we're up against those who exalt themselves in their pride, we shouldn't be intimidated. Such people are on the wrong end of a tug of war with God, and God opposes the proud, and those who exalt themselves will ultimately be humbled. But not only was Babel an encouragement to God's people, it also carried a warning. The warning was this. When you enter the land, don't become proud in heart. When you enter the land and you enjoy the resources and the prosperity of the land, don't become arrogant and forget God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 17 and 18 is one example of this. The warning to the Israelites. And it says this looking ahead to when they will be in the land. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And if they did become proud, they would find, ultimately, God would oppose them, and God would bring them down. And they would suffer ultimately the same fate as the people of Babel. Uh, Look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 27, for example. The Lord says, The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you out. It was all there, clearly stated before they entered the land. If they turned their backs on God, if they became proud, God would ultimately scatter them. And of course, we know our biblical history. We know tragically they do become proud. They do become arrogant in the land. They think we can live this life and we have no need for God whatsoever. And God's judgment comes on them and they are scattered. And at the hands of the Syrians and later the Babylonians, they are deported and they are dispersed amongst the nations. When you read through the Bible... This whole theme of scattering appears time and time again. As you read through the Bible, we actually see 
that scattering is an act of God's judgment. Ultimately, God scatters the proud in heart, the rebellious, those who reject him. And the ultimate scattering is what the Bible calls hell. The scattering and the isolation of being shut off from God forever. But fortunately, there is some good news. Because God doesn't only scatter rebellious people in his judgment. In his grace, God also gathers a people for himself. And who is central to this reversal of the scattering process? Who is central to this gathering process? You're looking rather blank. If you're not sure of the answer, what's always the right answer? Jesus, of course, of course. I knew you knew that. Yes, and then John 11, uh, the significance of Jesus' death is expressed in the terms of gathering, reversing this process of scattering. Uh, John 11, verse 52, his death is, uh, is explained as being for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. And when we go to the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of the end point of Christ's gathering work in heaven. And what do we see? A huge multitude, a multi-ethnic people in joyful submission to his rule. Revelation 7 verse 9. In his vision, John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. There it is. The end result of the gathering process of God, reversing this process of judgment and scattering, gathering together and drawing to himself a people for himself under the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what does this mean for us today? Uh, what message does the Tower of Babel carry for us today? How does this apply in our 21st century world? Uh, if you are somebody who has not yet put your trust in Christ, uh, there is both a warning and an encouragement here. Uh, perhaps you think you've got life sorted. You've made your way, you've achieved, you've succeeded, maybe you've done better than many others. Perhaps life seems secure. You're building your tower and you're looking at your life and you think, well, I've done it. I've succeeded. Perhaps you feel like the builders of the Titanic who boasted not even God could sink this ship. The message of Genesis chapter 11 is this. Beware. Beware. You are not self-sufficient. Any ability you have comes from God. And if you use those abilities purely for your own glory, you will find yourselves in a tug of war with God on the other end of the rope. And ultimately, it's a tug of war you cannot win. Uh, some people feel secure because of their achievements uh, of wealth, of status. Uh, some people feel secure because of their good works or their religion or their reputation in the community. But Babel says, beware, because God opposes the proud. God opposes those who seek to build a life without him. 
The reality is that in this life, everything you've built could be taken from you in a moment. And at the final judgment of God, such towers which we build now, which may seem impregnable, will ultimately provide no protection. As we've seen, there's nothing wrong in itself with great ability and achievements. What is wrong is the arrogance and the self-sufficiency they can breed. The danger is we say to ourselves, look at my success, look at my achievements, my status, my wealth, my intelligence. I am secure. I don't need God. The encouragement of this text to people in that situation is this. You need not continue in that vein. You can put that problem right. You can come to the one who ultimately means that you can avoid God's judgment of scattering, eternal scattering, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when we come to Christ humbly and we say, please forgive me for my self-sufficiency and my arrogance, Jesus says, come to me and I indeed will forgive you. For in Christ there is forgiveness and through Christ God the Father is gathering a people for himself. And if you come to him in faith, you then become a member of that people. Babel also carries a warning for those of us who are already trusting in Christ. Because you see, we are not immune from the ugly spirit of arrogant self-sufficiency. None of us are. There is nothing wrong with success in work. There is nothing wrong with success in ministry or at home. But what is wrong is when we get puffed up and we pursue glory for our own name rather than for God's. And therefore, we need to keep asking ourselves these honest questions which look at our hearts. Here are some of them for us to apply to ourselves. What place does prayer have in my life at the moment. How do I feel when someone else gets praise or when I don't get credit for something I've done? Is my security truly in the Lord? Uh, When something goes well, do I thank God or do I feel a sense of pride? Uh, What or who am I relying on today for acceptance with God? And even Christian service can become an exercise in building a tower, if we're honest. Even Christian ministry can be a means by which we seek to make a name for ourselves, to further our reputation, and to promote our own abilities. And when we broaden the the perspective to not just ourselves individually, but to our church family, we also continue to need asking questions. We need to scan ourselves as a church family to check that the Babel virus hasn't got into our system as a community of God's people. You see, there's a real danger of relying on our abilities as a church family. I mean, look at the assembled talent and the brains that we have amongst us. Okay, maybe it doesn't apply today, but normally when we're all here, the assembled talent and the brains we have. Isn't there not a danger that we maybe think, hey, we've got everything we need to grow this church and to further God's purposes. See the danger. 
It's that danger of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. The danger is we say, we don't need to meet to pray. Growth will just happen. And if we are proud and if we are self-sufficient, the danger is that we will slip ultimately to the point where God will oppose us in what we are doing. And the encouragement, therefore, is to come back to Christ in humble repentance. The challenge is, therefore, as a community of God's people and also individually, to have humble hearts, to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive me, please forgive us, where we have become arrogant, where we've become self-sufficient. Please renew our devotion to live humbly and joyfully under your good rule. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the sin of Babel is alive and well in our world today. And the sin of Babel is also a virus which affects all of our hearts in different ways. We are all susceptible to that danger of being proud and being self-sufficient before you. We pray, please, when we put the focus on ourselves, forgive us for that. Help us to move forward more humbly depending on you every day. Prayerful in our individual lives, prayerful as a community of your people together. Please do grow our church. Extend your kingdom through as we ask. And may you bring the blessing of the gospel to many people through us. But all the while, keep us humbly dependent on you in that process we ask. To your glory. Amen.